Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Go and chase that information, that education, speak to the right people. And then ultimately at the other side of that, you've come out a better person. You've learned something and you've got the experience. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hey everyone and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sam Webb. Thank you to everyone from all over the world. We're in over 60 countries right now. So wherever you are, thank you. Thank you for taking the time every fortnight to listen into this podcast. I hope that every couple of weeks this is something that you look forward to. I hope you're able to take away something very positive from it in some way, shape or form for your own life. Uh, so that you could you know, live better or it might help someone else in your life who might be going through some type of challenging time. But I do want to say thank you and, and welcome everyone. To all of you new listeners, welcome as well onto the podcast. Thanks for putting your trust in myself and uh, investing your time today with me. I want to say a big thank you and let you know that I'm very appreciative that you're here with me. And I'm looking forward to having you on the journey with myself and living, uh, hopefully, into the future. But without further ado, I want to get straight into this podcast because this guy's a, a wonderful human who does outstanding work. For those of you who don't know Shandor Earl, he is a former professional rugby league player in Australia. He's played for uh, four clubs. Uh, he's played over 55 games over his career. He's been through his, you know, his own ups obviously with playing professional football and achieving a childhood dream, but he's also been at the other end of the spectrum as well, so to speak, uh, having been banned from the game for four years for a doping allegation and then also living overseas and pursuing business and, and entrepreneurial activities. It certainly opened his mind up to how us as humans are an extremely resilient race and how you can uh, continue to move forward despite anything that holds you back in your life. He's a walking testament to that, uh, and I cannot wait to get him onto the podcast. I'm actually very grateful for his time, uh, so I do want to just welcome him with open arms and, and get him straight on. But before I do, I want to just say wh wherever you are and whatever you're doing, if you're able to take a selfie or, or a snap or a photo of yourself listening to the podcast or a screenshot of this show, tag Livin', tag myself. You'll find our handles in the show notes section of this podcast. So that way we and I can thank you personally for listening in and being a part of the living family. And so that applies to everyone. If you get, you know, five, 10, 15 seconds, please also feel free to leave a comment and review the podcast because the more reviews and comments that we get to this show, 
the more seen this gets. And what that means is the more lives that we can save. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Whether you do that or not, I just want to say thank you anyway for taking the time out again and spending it with me. I always have a pleasure doing this stuff and I'm learning so much from from all of you and all of my guests. So let's get Sandorel onto the podcast right now because I've had enough of quacking on about that. Welcome, Shandorel. Mate, welcome onto the podcast, Shandorel. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, brother. Thank you, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a rainy day here. I see the sun shining. I think you're over in LA, so I'm very jealous. Yeah, mate, I am. I am. Well, mate, ho- hopefully you get over here soon when these uh, restrictions calm down a bit. To educate some of the listeners, where are you right now? You said it's raining where you are. Whereabouts are you? I'm in Newcastle at the moment. So new job, new career path, which we'll probably get into, uh, founded in Newcastle. So I spend a bit of time here. I'm living in Melbourne still, but mate, Melbourne's just been so tough at the moment. I don't know how long you've been away, but yeah, Melbourne's, I think, the most lockdown city in the world. So I escaped a few months ago. It's been good just to get up here and no distractions and do some work. But normally the weather's pretty good, but yeah, raining at the moment. Oh, Gyms mate, are back right. open though, so that's a good sign. We're starting to get, we've had Freedom Day two days ago. I know, so. I saw that, mate. <laughs> Everyone was straight down to the pub and everything was going mad. I can only imagine what that was like, mate. Well, well welcome on, welcome on to the podcast. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having you on and having a good chat about all things, you know, your, your own life, I guess, adversity, some of your career playing footy, dramas you probably went through there, as well as injuries. And, and where you are now with your own podcast and, and your own business venture, which seems like it's about to go gangbusters. So, mate, I can't wait to talk about all that stuff. But let's rewind the clock. And and I, I think a lot of our listeners will probably resonate with with your name and your background as a as an NRL or a professional athlete playing rugby league in Australia. A lot of our audience is, is probably majority are based in Australia and the rest are probably here in the U.S., so, mate, talk to me through that. Where, where did it all start? Your first club and how old were you? Yeah, I started playing footy when I was four years old, mate. So that was, it seemed to be, that was the dream. You know, mum was a big footy fan. Always talk about this. She was my first coach in under sixes. So she loved footy, like literally, I think more than I did as a young kid. But yeah, just, I think I picked up a lot of things off mum. She was she was a single mum, cared a lot about her sons. They were her life, her priority, and pushed us into sports, pushed us to work hard. And I played every sport under the sun. But eventually, when you have to make the choice about 15, 16, rugby league seemed to be the thing for me. I was a Roosters junior, so I lived in Bondi and then Woolloomooloo. Tough spot to grow up, huh? Yeah, well, Woolloomooloo uh, isn't what it is now. but um, Bit rusty back in the day, mate, with a cross and all that, eh? It was, it was. It was right next to the cross, so. It was a bit different, but um, I just worked my way up the grades at the Roosters and finally got my start at 18, 19, which was pretty special. It's always nice to get an opportunity to debut at a young age. And, you know, that really rounded off all the commitment, all the hard work. And even at that age, mate, I'd still been through a bit of a roller coaster ride with a torn ACL at 17. And I wasn't the most talented kid. I was athletic. I was into my sport. I was committed, always dedicated at a young age. And I think that was instilled in me by you know, my mom and my own personal experiences. So that was a good little build up to me deciding to play rugby league and pretty much dedicated the next 15 years of my life. You mentioned something and I find that interesting. Yeah, I probably wasn't the most talented bloke growing up, but you know, the dedication probably was what paid off and the work ethic and stuff like that. If you were to put it down to one thing, because let's be honest, there are a lot of very talented people in this world, in all industries, in all aspects of life, whether it's football, entertainment, whether it's fitness, doesn't even matter, whether it's in banking. What success did you put it down to at the end of the day for you? Sometimes it's funny because you regurgitate a few stories, but they're all 
pinnacle moments in exactly the question you asked. I think for me, I was a product of my environment. You know, we spoke about Woolloomooloo and I always talk about this, but like at six or seven years old, I was catching the bus train bus through King's Cross to go to school. You know what I mean? So I was very independent at a young age, but also just knew what I wanted. And I don't know where that was instilled. Again, I think, I think just me being such an important piece of mum's life, I think she just built up this self-confidence in me, which wasn't warranted. You know what I mean? As I said, I wasn't talented. So I had no reason to believe that I was definitely going to make it or I could achieve this or I was capable of this. It was just an internal belief and just very competitive. And I think at some point at a young age, I understood and realized that regardless of where I am in any situation, if I project myself to just be committed, respectful, a hard worker, and literally just be the hardest worker in the room, that it's going to pay off. And I, I genuinely can think of moments where I understood that and realized that 13, 14, 15. And I think that just set me up. You know, you start to build a perception around who you are. And then at training, you got to remember, we play games for six months of the year, and it's two hours on a weekend. The other 48 hours of the week, they get to see us at training. You know what I mean? So that's where I'm going to make my impact. That's where I was going to create that belief in me as a player. So I think just identifying that was really important for me. And then that just was the foundation of who I was all those years building up to eventually me getting a crack. Man, that's that's awesome, man. And I think for a lot of people listening, it's not always about how talented you are. I think at the end of the day, talent is something that certain people possess naturally. But I think with hard work, if you just let talent sit there and you don't you don't work hard at it, the people who are harder workers generally overtake those talented people that just rest on their laurels, so to speak. You know what I mean? And we've seen it. You know, you would have seen it before. We've all seen it. Mate, 100%. And I, and I love that because I know a lot of people listening would be like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but it gives a lot of people hope because I, th- I believe, I'm a big believer, man. It's one of my values, you know, work hard and you hopefully reap the rewards one way or another. And I think with hard work, opportunities open, doors open, relationships start to occur and networking opportunities and you just never know where it sort of takes you at the end of the day yeah you nailed it what's the flow-on effect from that you know what i mean like if you're working hard what you know what sort of what sort of energy are you putting out to people you're 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 a good person you're attracting good people good things flow on from that it's not just the result of you know training for a specific goal if you're living that life good things are going to come i agree fully and it just creates that ripple effect and it's also from someone on the outside that is around people like yourself, for example, it's kind of a thing that draws you to people like that. And if, if, if that's the people you want to surround yourself with or you're a product of your environment, you're going to have those types of people in your circle too, which will only bring you up. Mate, you, you speak a lot about your mum. Is your dad in the picture? Is he part of this whole journey? or is I don't know him actually. I never met him. He, he was around till I was about two years old and then a bit of a tough situation for mum. He had another family. He's from overseas. He's actually um, Hungarian, Romanian, and then he had to part way. So tough for mum. You know, she's never she's never had the best of luck with uh, <laughs> with men, but just never been in the picture. But mum's always doubled. She's that crazy dad in the movies that's <laughs> trying to get her son to play sports, you know what I mean? But she's she actually works with um, South Sydney Rabbitohs. She's the welfare officer. She's been awesome to have around. Her whole life has been a nurse, then moved into the mental health space. And I can see the appeal for South. Like the boys love her. Obviously, she's great at what she does from a mental health aspect and the psychology. But then to double that, just having a mum around the football club, like I know what that would be like. So it's a good vibe. Yeah, it is. It's really good for them to have that. So, and she loves it. She loves the boys. She understands. She's seen me go through everything. So, 
she's really relatable in that aspect. She understands what footy players, it's one thing to talk about the boys who are at the top and doing well. We all know that when everything's going good, everything's good. You know, there's nothing to worry about, but her best tool in that environment is just being able to relate to the boys, you know, injuries, not making first grade. These things seem insignificant on the outside world, but when your whole life is playing footy, that's what means the most to you. So these guys, they go through the ringer. There's, it's a roller coaster ride, but to have her around, I imagine it would be pretty cool. Yeah, mate. And it would be it would be like almost like a family in a way, you know, like there are very judgmental people in this world and it'd be great having someone around that can resonate on a lot of different levels like that. Mm. And comes from a different angle, you know, like it's not purely from an educational background. She comes from a world of experience. Like that's how, that's where it comes from, you know, like she's seen it all, done it all and been through it. So that's, I think that's the special part as well. That's awesome. So it sounds like she's going well then and she's in Glebin. You've got a brother, do you? Yeah, little brother. Is he playing footy? No, he doesn't play footy. We're a little bit different in that way. And I moved out when I was 17. So it was kind of, you know, five years apart. Couldn't do too much together. He's going well. He's a good lad. Uh, he's got a good network of friends, got a good job. And uh, he's doing his thing. He lives in Sydney. So we've got a small family, but um, all quite close in the sense that, you know, we've all been through some stuff and always had each other's back. So it's cool. Yeah, mate. I love that. I love that. And that's what it's all about, man. I think everyone's got a story on some level. It's just depending on what people are willing to share and, and what part of their journey they're on, I guess. Uh, speaking of so the footy stuff, you're in Newcastle right now, but through your career, you played obviously for four different clubs, racked up over 55 odd games or whatever over the years that you played. What was the highlight of your whole career, like over the years? What was the best point for you? Yeah, it's a funny one. You know, my career is different to showcasing all the accolades and you know, amazing moments. I was, I was just at the Melbourne Storm. You're surrounded by guys like Billy Slater, Cameron Smith and the likes who are celebrating 400 games. But I think when I went to Canberra in 2012, off the back of just having a double shoulder reconstruction, I'd actually been cut from the Roosters off the back of an incident after my debut, went to Penrith, like trained by myself the whole preseason, walked in, got a start, built my way into first grade. Great moment. And then had a double shoulder reconstruction, horrible moment built my way back and got an opportunity mid-season with the Raiders. And I don't know, I think it was the club, the coach, the boys putting faith in me. It just reignited something and then struck up a partnership and a friendship with my centre pairing, Blake Ferguson, and we just went on an amazing run. Like, I just remember that moment. I've been around footy a long time. I've played enough games with enough different people, but to run out on the on an NRL field and just be – enjoying yourself, laughing, smiling, having fun like you're a kid, that is very rare. You know what I mean? I think the best of the best would say that. And it's not about the pressure or the nerves, but to just be genuinely enjoying yourself and having fun, that's hard to get a hold of at that level. So that was really special. And then, mate, to be honest, as I said, I don't get to celebrate the 400 games or the big premiership moments, but having six years between NRL games and an ACL in between it, I don't think many people could achieve that. And I think in reflection now, after it's all said and done, I'm just really proud of that. That's a big thing, you know. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do that. So it's nice to sit back and go, you know what? It's pretty special. Mate, that's huge. So have I heard you say now, have you had two ACL reconstructions? Yes, I have. So, mate, one when I was a kid, which was great because I was a skinny kid, 69 kilos, come back the next year, 83 kilos. So I just spent some time in the gym. But this last one, you know, I just had four years off trained the absolute house down, got a start at Melbourne, came back to preseason, three weeks into all my ACL was like, you wouldn't wish that upon... Mate, I, you <laughs> and me the same. Thing. I've had two ACLs on the same knee. 
Oh, it's torture. So I know the pain, but I didn't know the pain from a professional standpoint. I didn't have the timing of that is insane. So you did it going back to the storm in preseason, and then you you ended up getting it fixed, recovering, rehabilitating, and then playing. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story and moment. Like I actually had opened a gym in Melbourne, F45, about a year before. I'd done a lot of cool stuff overseas, and I was like, all right, this is the way to go. F45 was a great business opportunity, a great model. So I was like, bang, found this location in the city, opened it up, really successful. So I would work there, take every class, AM, PM, lunch, and I would train in between. But I've been fit, I've been healthy, but I never have been at that point of strength, power, fitness. When I came back to the storm, I was flying. So like, I do feel that's one of the things that I probably feel like, yeah, I was robbed of an opportunity there. Like it sucks to come back and do my ACL. But to your point, I just was like, I was shattered, obviously, you know, shed my tears, had my moment. And after that, I was, I felt like I'd let people down, you know, because I'd just been given this opportunity off the back of four years. So like they took a punt on me gave me a contract, showed faith. Like they were amazing. Even after I did my ACL, I was in the doctor's office. It was about two hours later and Belzer called me, Craig Bellamy, and he said, mate, I don't know what to say. I'm really sorry, but if you want to go around again next year, you've got a contract. You don't have to worry about anything. You can imagine the first thing I was thinking, I was like, I'm done. It's gone. I've ruined everything. I'm not going to. Mate, you'd have been in your thoughts, bro. You'd have been so depressed. Like you'd have been struggling hard. Exactly. Eh? Exactly. So it was a crazy moment, crazy moment. We're not going to ignore the elephant in the room. You said four years. You've mentioned this a few times. Four years. You've been out of the game for four years. Can you talk to me about the incident that occurred? Obviously, this has probably robbed a lot of the headlines over the years. No one probably even remembers it, which is great. But do you want to talk me through that that whole stuff with Stephen Dank and the Asada, I think, or whatever it was called back in the in the day of rugby league? You run me through it, bro. Yeah, no, it's and it's it's important. You know, it's, it highlights a lot of stuff for me. Growth as a person, a lot of, pushed a lot of experiences, and obviously it set me up for a great comeback. But yeah, in 2012, when I had the double shoulder reconstruction, Stephen Dank, sports scientist, who at the time was employed by a number of clubs, previously the Sharks, which we know about, came over to Penrith and was working on more of a consultancy basis, not so much employed for the team. He did a few different things, you know, blood testing, different training modalities. I was injured at the time, so I was introduced to him. The introduction was very different to what we know now. you got to think back in 2012, peptides, the word, had no significance and explained as amino acids and not a banned substance. There was no real worry. Now it's got the media attention. It's perceived as something else. But back then, it wasn't a concern. The club paid for all the treatment that I got. I was going to see a doctor, albeit off-site, but really didn't think I had any issues or anything to worry about. And I knew that it was being administered at other clubs. So the rationale at the time, although could say it was naive, I thought it was sweet. And if I didn't think it was sweet, I can't think of how many times I got blood tested between that time and the other time. Like, So if anything was ever going to happen, then you would have thought that it would have happened. So it didn't. There's a few few little things that are frustrating there in terms of like it wasn't a banned substance and all these other little things. But anyway, it's it doesn't matter now. But fast forward two years, I'm sitting at home after a preseason and I see on the TV, darkest day in Australian sport, Stephen Dank, all these headlines and, and media. And I was like, holy shit, I know this guy. <laughs> so I was freaking out. Yeah, so how, how it all came um, about for me was all through text messaging. So very unique, very random situation. One of a kind probably won't happen again. And a lot of media attention. It was political stuff involved. It got down to the point where 23-year-old kid 
on his own. You know, you look at the Sharks, for example, and I'm and I'm more than happy with the situation they landed on, which is like a three-week ban. I'm completely okay with that. It is what it is. I understand the situation. But for me, with a trafficking ban in there as well, because I took the peptide from his clinic to the doctor, that was a hard pill to swallow. So four years, I never thought it would be four years. That's like a jail sentence. Yeah, mate, it's hard. And to think about, not that I do, because I had so many amazing experiences. I moved overseas, got into business, traveled the world, grew as a person, realistically. Like all of those things were forced by this incident. So I'm grateful for that. But, you know, at the peak of your powers, you never want to rip four years away from your footy career. But again, got so much more from what happened. Genuinely would be hard to take it back. Mate, you've obviously got an amazing outlook on life and you've probably done a lot of work, you know, over the years. And as you mentioned, you've explored multiple countries, lived in different destinations, started businesses, probably closed businesses, took on new ventures, whatever else, and met a lot of great people along the way. But like in the midst of all that, like that has to almost rip your heart out on a goal where you were just, you know, coming back from double reconstruction of your shoulders to try and get back out in the field to have that. But not not only behind the doors, this is this is very open media stuff. How do you deal with that stuff when your name, your head's in the in the news lines with other people associated with doing other things? Like, what do you do to manage yourself during those times? And like did it get bad for you? Do you have to speak to someone? Like, where were you at this stage? Now the dots start to get linked up around what where we started as like my childhood. So that the independence I spoke about, I think I've probably created some coping mechanisms. Now, some of them have some negative attributes, I imagine, because I probably maybe hold things in a little bit more than I should. But on the other side, I think it allows me to deal with things really well. When these things happen, I face the reality of the situation as soon as possible. And then it's just really a choice. Like, am I going to let this ruin me, consume me? Or do I just try and find a light at the end of the tunnel, something positive, something optimistic I can grasp onto? And then like, okay, what am I going to do? For example, I left the country and went to Thailand, this training location where I'd been before. And I was like, all right, I'm getting out of there. And I like surround myself by some goals, some tasks, some purpose, which I think switches my mindset and my focus away from the harsh reality of a shitty situation into like something good, something that I can sink my teeth into, something that I can focus on. And I, at different levels, that level and, you know, a smaller level around anything that I'm faced with, I think that cycle is how I deal with things. So uh, it's something that I've built over probably too many adversities, but I think it's, it puts me in a good position to deal with stuff now but yeah mate to your point about the media once you've been through it enough times you understand the game like even to the point where let's look at the journos for example some of the way they do things is horrible some of the things they're allowed to say but at the end of the day like i'm not going to blow up and just be frustrated and angry all the time like they're doing their job you know what i mean now whether i like these people or not and some of them i don't for sure like i don't agree with the way they carry themselves or the shit they say but end of the day this is a bloke doing his job. He probably doesn't personally hate me or care about me. So you just look at it for what it is. It's a business. I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. And then on the other end, mate, it's the way, I think it's the way you deal with it. Always own the situation. Take responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Take responsibility, be honest. And this is a big part of how I was able to turn things around. People relate to that, understand that, and are happy to give you a chance. And I think that's the way I handled myself early days with all that stuff. I was open, I was honest, I was raw, and I took accountability for my actions. And people are willing to understand that, listen, and then move on. So that was sort of the way I dealt with all that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that you say that. And you mentioned that you were able to, you know, look at some coping strategies that you learned probably throughout the many adversities that you've had in your life. And this is probably just another one of them. There's probably plenty more to come. We all have adversities. That's what life's all about. You know, we can't we can't live a pain-free life. That doesn't exist for anyone. But like to be able to have that foresight to see the light at the end of the tunnel is a skill in itself. Like a lot of people that are listening to this right now are probably going through their own shit on some level, right? And sometimes people, and I've been there before, you just can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. You think that nothing's going to go right. So I feel like when you've been faced with certain challenges time after time, you sort of know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. But if that was your first time, it probably was always black or it looked dark and it was like, well, fuck, why me? Why is this happening to me? Like these guys are assholes and, and they're just trying to frame me and make me look bad. There's other people out there and they're not getting in trouble. And But like you took full responsibility and it sounds like it's come from a lot of past experiences. You were able to reshape the way that you reacted to the situation at that given moment in your life. Couldn't agree more. And I think we've come around full circle now and that's the million dollar question. Like, what does it come down to giving people who haven't been through a lot, who maybe haven't built up their resilience to these different adversities? How do you get the education across to say, like, I feel like now I'm at a point and I have, I have good people around me, you know. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Whether it's at Airlocker or in my close network of friends, and you, you're almost, I'm almost at the point where don't get me wrong. I'm not chasing adversity. I don't want shitty things to happen to me. I don't want to make some mistakes and fail. But I know that in reality, all the good shit in my life, all the lessons actually come from that. So you get to a point where when you understand that, like you said, everything's going to be okay, or you don't fear failure, you don't worry. I feel like people just have that hardwired into them, the negative self-talk. It's subconscious and it's a habit. But if that's, if that's your way of coping with things, you are just stuck. That's it. That's just a round and round that you're it's going to be really hard to get out of where if you get through enough and by getting through enough, you have to put yourself in the position to be okay to go through that. Like if you're going to make mistakes, if you're going to fail, if you're going to end up in positions where you're facing adversity, the reality is you probably took some risks. You probably put yourself out there. You probably put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Now, if you never do that, you never get to that point. You're never living. You're never going to build resilience. You're never going to understand or learn these lessons. So first thing is to get a better relationship with that and that process. And when you do, you get these situations or you're faced with these situations and you're comfortable. You know that you're going to get out of it. You know that you're going to be okay. It's not going to be great. It's not going to you know, be enjoyable in those moments, but you know that once you do get out of it, you've probably learned a good lesson and you're stronger for it. So I feel like that cycle and that relationship, if you can build that, 
you put yourself in a real good position to deal with shit and live a happier life. Perfectly said. And it's, it's probably a perfect segue into your time where you traveled and you, and you lived overseas and you started businesses and you trained and you set your teeth into something that it was probably new to you. You were able to take risks. You know, I can relate to you on a lot of those fronts. I mean, a big part of my, when I'm struggling or something feels out of place, I like to stick my teeth into something and stick by discipline and do something where I'm going to see results and I can keep myself accountable. And if I can't keep myself accountable, I mean, who else is, I can't rely on someone else to keep me accountable because I'm very similar in a way. I grew up, I'm pretty independent. I've had to fend for myself from a pretty young age and everything else. But with all of that said, and the resilience piece and the fear of failure, I, I believe, and again, I'm, I'm on the same boat as you. It's like people trying our hardest to avoid any errors in life. We want everything to be perfect. You get ridiculed if there's errors in anything, whether it's your work, in a corporate job, on the footy field. It generally is associated with a negative connotation. So normally when people think of failure and mistakes, they automatically think that's fucking bad. You don't want that in your life. But there's nothing that's happened good in my life from just good. It's only happened from stuff of, of, I've made a mistake or I've fucking done something wrong. So I've had to realign my wheels and get back on track and hopefully, dear God, I don't make that mistake again. You know what I mean? 100%. If there's any message I push, whether I talk to someone, it's literally that conversation. Like That is everything. And let's call it like your relationship with failure. Like if you can nail that process, understand it, and I think you have to experience it to believe it like anything. But if you understand the result after it, once you've gotten through it, there's a level of excitement when you go through shit. Like even the bad stuff, you're like, you just know that something good's going to come from it. Now that's pretty hard to grasp for people who aren't getting the concept that we're talking about, but it's a real thing. And the other thing you said, which still is in the box of cliche and very general, like give me the magic answer that gets going to get me out of this. Well, I don't have one, but the chat about goals and genuinely locking yourself into the next thing or a purpose, that is the answer. But it's very cliche to people. I think it's not, I want the magic answer. Like, tell me exactly what I have to do. But that is it. And you hear it time and time again. I just don't think it gets the the praise that it truly deserves. But that's the answer. Genuinely, that is the answer out of these situations. Yeah, and you've got to really, like, live it too. Like, you've got to experience it. It's one thing saying it and hearing it on a podcast, but it's actually one thing doing it. Like, actually taking that next step and going into it knowing, like, it's okay if you make a mistake or you don't get drafted or you don't get picked. Like I, I do acting out here in LA outside of, you know, the living work and numbers don't lie, for example. And I know that in order to be a successful actor, I'm probably going to have to fail a thousand auditions. 100%. So I know going into an audition, like statistically speaking, which sounds fucking wild, I'm probably not going to get this role. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a small chance I could get it, but I'm probably not going to get it. But I know in each audition that I take, it's just a numbers game as well. I know I have to get through those negatives in order to get to the positive that I'm working so hard for with classes and everything else. But mate, talk to me about this air locker stuff, bro. It's, it sounds very exciting. And I know you kicked off with your studio with F45 in Melbourne and now you're transitioning. And have you still got that? Are you selling it or? Yeah, done with that now. That was awesome experience in my life just to dive in in Australia. It was my first small business opportunity. So to own that, to go through the whole process from franchisee to build to management to a successful studio was really cool. Great experience. And you know, overseas having a cafe and a gym and traveling, 
that was also a great initiation into business. So it was really good. But now retirement's a funny one. It's hard to rip the Band-Aid off when you feel like you're still good to go and you're fit and healthy. But in reflection, I, I understand how tough a time period and transition it could be for some guys leaving professional sport. You know, it is a bubble. It's it's all you know. There's little to no opportunities for education. It's all encompassing. You're a professional athlete. You're trying to be the best at what you do. So even though there's good intentions, you don't really have a lot of time to find a passion or to upskill yourself in different careers. You're really focused on football. You know what I mean? And that's that's just how it is. They don't get a lot of opportunity to travel and experience, which you would know has probably given you some of your greatest life lessons. So coming out of footy, I can imagine now I've got an understanding of shit, this must be hard, you know, and I'm lucky I've, I've had to experience what life is like outside of playing sports. So I got my, I went through my schooling there in my time off and I've always been outward thinking, interested in business, interested in things like that. So, but for me, very lucky to find Airlocker through a few of my mates who are in the US that you know, and to couple that with an interest in altitude training. And then to create a relationship between us with the owner and founder, Roman of Airlocker, just, you know, full of passion, full of life with a big dream. And that's how we all connected, you know, big aspirations, good attitudes, good work ethic, and a genuine passion for wanting to do this. And so to leave footy, but with a strong purpose and belief in another career path, I think I'm very lucky and it's very special in that regard. And it gives you something to also work towards too, right? It's almost like it's like you mentioned earlier about digging your teeth into something and staying disciplined and looking at results and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just a different arena, I guess. It's it's still results driven. You're still looking at numbers and all that. Yeah, it reflects a lot of the same things. I say this a lot with the boys as well. It's not all doom and gloom. Like you got to think for you to be a professional athlete, you're a hard worker. Like you've obviously got a good work ethic. You've got a great attitude. The best employees are people who've been around team sport. They get it. They get culture. They get accountability. They communicate well. They're competitive. These are all great attributes I'd love to have in an employee, you know? So if you can just find something you're passionate about, the skill set's there. Okay, the education might not be around the specific like path you're taking, but you've got the skills to have a crack and probably succeed at whatever you want if you come from that background. So that's what I've brought to the table. And as you said, it's a new goal, new purpose, and just got a lot of the same attributes. You, you got a big goal, you're chasing it, you're competitive, and you'll do anything to make it work. And I love this space, fitness, group training. You get an opportunity to genuinely change people's lives, not just their bodies and for their results, but speak to them on a different level, get to know people, engage with people in a way that they're probably not getting in their day-to-day life, at work, in their relationships, in their social networks. So very special touch points and moments that you get access to here. So good, man. And, and so talk me through from a business point of view. I'm on a sales call. We're trying to raise some VC for, for our locker. T- talk to me. What's the point of difference? What do you do different to, let's say, your F45s and, and your other functional training you know, clubs and centers all around the world? Yeah, for sure. For me, it's like a three-part thing. As I said, group training is popular now and there are plenty of options. Your F45s, your body fit, CrossFit, whatever it may be. Altitude's the hero of this story. Altitude gives us an amazing opportunity to get great results with essentially what is less work, less wear and tear, but with huge benefits to your fitness levels, your body fat and your hormone production. So all of these things are genuinely happening when you come into an airlocker studio and you train consistently. So the opportunity to reach your peak performance and get results in altitude is a real thing, science-backed, 
full, like extensively researched, typically that was something that was only accessible for the elite athlete, you know, in, in your top professional environments, Olympians, footballers, whatever it may be. And now that opportunity is available for everyone. So it's pretty cool to bring that to the masses is straight off the bat, a great opportunity. And I'm, and I'm genuinely excited for everyone to experience training in altitude. The next thing from that is our is a program. We've built a program that's the evolution in this space. So we have an amazing equipment pack that sets us apart. So our cardio machines, we have pin loaded equipment. We have genuine strength, whether it's our barbell trap bar work. So we cover all bases. You get the conditioning aspect and part of that's from altitude, but you also get genuine strength, genuine hypertrophy and an opportunity to be fitter, faster, leaner, stronger. So a great program that underpins everything, which is really important, especially, you know, against the rest of the market. So that that's really cool too. And then the last thing, bro, you'll love this. We incorporate a mindset and meditation as our last two minute block at the end of each class. That again is important for us to start the recovery process, but just speak to people on a different level. You know, we want to take that holistic approach. And one of our main methods at Airlocker is the FTF method, which is focused through fatigue. And one of my big stories coming into Airlocker is the shit I've been through. You can actually bring that message into an Airlocker session because by some of these sessions, they're not, they're as hard as you make it, but they're tough. You know, you've got the altitude, you've got your training. There's a time where I want to take a lighter weight or I genuinely want to stop on a, on what is a conditioning effort or a boost set. Like it's hard. I want to stop. I want to quit. I'm in a group of three, group of four. We've got a team environment program or workout going on. And, you know, I'm silent. I don't want to talk. I don't want to support anyone. I just want to get through my own session and get it done. But the choices you make in these workouts to not do that, to fight against that little voice, I feel like they're just genuine opportunities to build resilience. So to educate our members on making these choices in a workout three, four, five times every day, every week, you can't tell me that that's not going to flow out into their day-to-day life, in their relationships, them as an employee at work, communicating with their friends, just this, just choices they make to be a better person and build resilience. So you couple all of that, hopefully build out a cracker experience for everyone who comes to airlocker training. Explain to the novices that don't know much about altitude training. If I go to Utah here in the US and I drive up a, up a hill, I think their base level there is 8,500 feet, man. I've been there once and I swear I went, I'm going to go for a run down the street today and I was proper gassed. Yeah, and I'm pretty been. fit when it comes you to running, been. man. I was dizzy in that almost after it. I don't feel like I'm high, but like even the breathing's a little bit harder, eh? So like talk to me through it. How many feet up is this altitude? How long is the sessions? How many people in the class? Well, it's a good example. The most well-known concept here is AFL teams heading over to America, uh, Arizona, Colorado, I believe, to do their training camp. So I feel like Melbourne's going to be a great space for airlocker training just because of the credibility and the media attention around that. I went to Mexico City three or four years ago, did a CrossFit session. And one of the things that we had to do was run around the block you do your weights, do your exercise, and then you run around. And I was like, what is going on? I was cooked. And that was probably 2,800 meters above sea level. Now, Mexico City is actually where it all started in the Olympic Games there. You had all the aerobic athletes, the fitter, longer distance, horrible times. The anaerobic, so the sprinters and whatnot, they actually had great results, breaking records because it was less resistance, less oxygen in the air. So this created a whole journey of study and research and science as to what's going on here. What are the effects of altitude? And altitude has now been used in the biggest performance environments in the world across the best athletes, you know what I mean? So altitude for us, we are in a simulated altitude room. 
So what we do is we manipulate the a level of oxygen. It's not a chamber. It doesn't have to be enclosed. When you come into the room, we like to train at the ideal level of 32 to 3,500 metres above sea level and with a 13 to 14% oxygen in the room. So outside, you're anywhere between 20 and 22. So that's the difference. And you notice it for sure, but you do adapt. You'll feel it in your breath. And during your first two weeks, you'll be like, whoa, like you're gassed. Everything's that little bit harder. With any stress, you adapt. And that's what we're trying to achieve. When you get that adaptation to altitude, your performance markers go through the roof. So as I said, what's your true potential with some of the tech that we have coming on? You know, I spoke about the bare bones of altitude, but some of the tech, which is individualized to people's health types that we're trying to build out, coupled with the altitude and a great program, it's like, I think this is people's best opportunity to reach their true potential and it's available to everyone. So we just got to roll this out, share our story, educate people on what it is. And altitude is not to be feared. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's not a chamber. You come in, there's a slight adjustment to your breathing. But all in all, it's a very safe and practical environment and it's made it's for everyone. So basically the goal of altitude training and the ethos behind Air Locker, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the takeaways would be you, you go train here, you're working at altitude, and then you basically, you come out. And then so if I was to go running around this, the oval at my park, I'd find that a lot easier after a while because I've been struggling at the, at the altitude level. And, and then after a while, I find that easier. So of course, I'm going to find the street running easier. Correct. Correct. We sort of take on the principle of live low, train high. Now there's a few manipulations around that. Like you'll get some elite athletes who live high, train high or live high, train low, all of these different principles. You know, you got your Olympians, for example, they're going to train in an altitude environment and double that up. So they're going to live and train in it. So they're getting the full spectrum, but no doubt you come into air locker, you train here consistently, you will know and understand and experience the effects when you go back out into a normal environment sea level for sure like it's it's phenomenal and the good thing is when you come into an altitude environment one of the key things that we measure is called blood saturation so we're not too far away from genuinely being able to have a great reading on this right now it's in the apple watch but the algorithm isn't quite there and the position isn't ideal there's another thing that we use which is an oxygen pulsometer so you put this on the end of the fingers it actually needs to be on the end, like your earlobe and your finger, they're the actual great points for measurement. So you put this on, it gives you a reading. Now, your blood saturation or the oxygen in your blood, you want that to be at a certain reading. So it doesn't take a lot. And what we're experiencing or what we know is in an altitude environment, to get the same results, whether you're lifting weights, sprinting on a treadmill, or you're on a rower, to get the same results, it will take less load, less effort, less time in an altitude environment because of those attributes to altitude and what you're doing. So those are the really special things that we're experiencing. Now, it's not to say that you're going to come in and and not train as hard. It's just smarter training and it's more rewards for your hard work and effort. That's what it is. That's the way to grasp the concept. So it's really cool, mate, to to have that underpin a great program, a great culture, It's special, mate. It's so cool to be a part of and building out these new things that I'm talking about, the advances in tech and equipment. Fuck, it's exciting. Mate, you've got me pumped. Sign me up. But, mate, it sounds unbelievable. And 
But I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's all about education still too, isn't it? You're going to have to educate people on this. And the more people understand the benefits of, of training in this environment, the, the less wear and tear on your body, the better recovery, the less likely you are to probably get back and low, like leg injuries and knee injuries and all that sort of stuff, mate. So it sounds wonderful, man. There's some great science, as you said. I've, I've looked up some of the science in the past. It works. It's very clear it works. Like best people in the world do it. They fly to different countries just to do that type of training. People think, oh, well, it's for the elite athletes. It can't be for me. Well, hang on. If the elite athletes are doing it and you can do it, I'd be jumping on that straight away. If it's good enough for them, then it's good enough for you. You know what I mean? It's not to be feared just because they have access to it. Switch the way you're thinking about it. And if it's a training option that they're doing, that they love, that they know gets results and now it's available to you, mate, get in there and give it a crack. You can do the strength training. You can do your favorite training options your cardio, everything, circuit training, everything you can think of. Why not do it in altitude? Because the results are real. The science is there. We hopefully can back it up with a hell of an experience because it's, you know, the beauty of this is the people who are at the foundations of Air Locker, they're all from a team sport background and you would understand it's a different feel. It's a different understanding of camaraderie and culture and even accountability to your training and each other. Yeah, you know, so all of that underpins and it's just a hell of a vibe in there. So I'm just excited to roll this out. Yeah. And that's what people go to places for a community. And, and our mental health and suicide prevention organization is a is all about community. You know, like whether you're struggling with your mental health or you're coasting along in life, our goal is to create a community where people can turn to if they need help or if they want to look for help for someone in their life that they love. And I think it's very important. And that's how you get people part of the greater vision, you know, as to where our locker will go in the future, mate. And it sounds like you're all business and Sounds like you're in a wonderful, I guess, experience with what you're doing and a great journey ahead. And if myself or Livin can ever help in any way, shape or form, just you know who to hit up. Just hit me up. Yeah, bro. That's help, it. Man. I'll have to try and visit one when I'm back in Australia. 100%. We'd love to have you in. Before we wrap up though, mate, I do want to ask you, what, what's one piece of advice that you can leave with our listeners before we wrap up this podcast today? Oh, we touched on a fair few. I would round it back to the conversation we had around the relationship with failure. I had a conversation the other day with um, a group at the Rabbitohs, actually it was, and I just sort of explained the process that we go through. And I talk about the storm culture often because that's the pinnacle. That's the thing we all want to look at. But I think if you can get to that point where whether it is a mistake, a failure, some sort of adversity, and you can understand the process behind it, like face the reality of the situation, go through those emotions, and then figure out what exactly was it that I need to improve, go and chase that information, that education, speak to the right people. And then ultimately at the other side of that, you've come out a better person, you've learned something and you've got the experience. So I think just working on that and building that into all aspects of your life is a, is a great place to start. Yeah, mate, I love it. I appreciated all your time, mate. We could talk for hours. But, mate, where, where can people find you? How can people uh, follow you and follow the journey of Airlocker? Yeah, definitely. Now you've heard about our look, head to our website, head to Instagram, get an understanding of it and find a studio near you and come in, come in and get some training done. Hopefully I've sold you, mate. <laughs> you've given us some great understanding of it, that's for sure. And what about yourself? Where can people follow you, find you? main thing you can follow me is just on Instagram, at Sandoril. So um, yeah, if you want to want to have a look. Also, the podcast that you mentioned, I Am The Fire podcast. So it's a little bit of a side hobby. It has been for a few years now, but like yourself, just enjoy talking to people, sharing some good stories. So yeah, follow the journey and hopefully you and I can touch base in a couple of years and see how much of this came to fruition. Yeah, mate, absolutely. Well, mate, uh, again, on behalf of myself and, and everyone at Living, I just want to say thanks for your time, brother, and uh, all the best in the future. No worries, bro. It's been a pleasure to be on. 
Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.